Hello, and welcome to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. I'm your host, Craig. Dave. Steve. Louis. Louis. Special guest star Louis, who has his own podcast on an entirely unrelated topic. It's called 5v5, and it's him and a lifelong buddy who uh, talk about music. So, Lou, if you want to plug that, feel free. Otherwise, we can move along. You just did a great job. You remembered everything. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, The 5v5 podcast. It's just two, uh, two middle-aged guys talking about music. Music that even I could remember, like you know, <laughs> like when the drummer from Cinderella died. I, I I think I told somebody, and they're like, "Cinderella was a dude. That drummer? What are you talking about?" Yeah, you know, yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so totally check out that podcast. Thanks, Lou. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. So um, the ladies are not here this week, and they are generally the driving force behind the cocktail and cocktails, mocktails, and crime. So, given that I'm the driving force this week, our cocktail is a beer. It's Draymond's Porter from the Berkshire Brewing Company. And let me just open this bad boy up and tell you how it tastes. It's very tasty. (laughs) Bit of a cheat there, though. I've drunk about a thousand of these, but uh, definitely feel free to pick them up. They're a yummy drink. Where can you get them? You can get them almost anywhere around here in Massachusetts. Um, it's a Massachusetts beer. Uh, I don't know. I'll maybe have to do a country ride tour and, and look for the beer in every store I can find. Mm. But uh, yeah, anyway, nice. good drink. Uh, so anyway, the topic for this week is Gabby Petito and Brian Laundry. That whole situation. Yes. Um. Yeah, Dave and I were talking about that a lot recently, and, you know, it just really captured, I I was riveted to the story, and I was trying to figure out, is it because I have a daughter about her age? Is it because of the social media aspect? It made it easier to follow and get really into, you know, this couple going off and living this hippie, idyllic life that we all wish we could do right now, especially with the pandemic. Um it has like similarities too. I think when you think about like other cases like Skylar Niece, for example, which was um, we covered this a couple, probably about a month ago, and that was a case where, you know, she was only sixteen, but um, just a very young, beautiful young lady who was murdered by people she should have been able to trust. And I think that, I think it's in part because we're looking at somebody who is with somebody that they should be able to trust, to be safe with. And, you know, young, you have your whole life ahead of you, and it's cut short, um, tragically. So should we go through some of the backstory? Yeah, so let's talk about the background of these two um, young people. Um, Yeah, I think... uh, Gabby and Brian are both from Long Island, mm-hmm. from the south shore of Long Island. Yeah, so Brian was born on November 18th, 1997. That's the most consensus. I've seen a couple different dates of birth for him, um, but the largest consensus is his birthday was November 18th. Um, he was born in 97, and he was born in Florida, and in his very young life, he lived primarily in Florida, 
But then in his high school years, he moved to New York and attended Bayport Blue Point High School, um, which is also where Gabby lived. Um, Brian has parents are um, Christopher Landry and Roberta. Um, we will be talking a lot about them and their uh, behavior within this particular case. Um, he also has one sibling um, who also comes up in this case. Uh, her name was Cassie. <clears throat> in high school, um, Brian begins dating a young lady named Gabby Verona Petito, who was born March 19th in 1999. Um, and her father and mother have divorced her biological parents, and um, she had a relationship with both parents, however. And she's the eldest of six siblings and half-siblings. Um, she graduated um, Bay Point Blue High School, and she was described as having, their relationship was described as on and off constantly. Um, when Gabby graduated, she moved to North Carolina briefly, and she worked in a restaurant and then applied to a community college. She's accepted to the community college, but doesn't end up attending because at this point her and Brian begin communicating and dating again, and in 2019 she moves to Florida with him. Um, Brian, in high school, um, for the people who have described the two, is described as kind of a quiet kid, um, not very popular, but not necessarily an unpopular kid. He was kind of one of those kids where if you were having a party and he showed up, you wouldn't tell him to leave, but nobody would have actually been the ones to invite him. Um, so, uh, of course, Gabby was much different. She's highly extroverted. She was very popular. She's a very attractive young woman. Um, and so there was a lot of, I guess, in there, uh, idea that, you know, Gabby was always a little bit out of Brian's league to begin with. Um, Brian's not very attractive. Um, I wouldn't call him unattractive, but he's, you know, he's just kind of an average kind of kid. He's very quiet, kind of a little, he came across to some people as being conceited. And there's some stories that during high school years, he was overweight, although the pictures we have of him recent are not overweight yeah i think that was uh one of someone that went to school with him that claimed that he was a friend mm -hmm. said there was probably more in the middle school yeah years and then by high school he had lost a ton of weight and um but yeah i mean it, it was described that you know he was the kind of boyfriend that if he saw gabby talking to somebody he would come over and put his arm around her or make it very known that she was with him yeah yeah, and after they moved into Florida, um, originally they're both working at Publix, which is, uh, for those who have never been down south, Publix is a supermarket chain, essentially. Um, but once COVID happens, the two will stop working there. Um, Brian resumes work at a juice bar. Uh, a few months later, and Gabby worked two jobs. One was at Taco Bell, and ironically, the other one was as a nutritionist. Mm. So, kind of an interesting combination. <laughs> yeah, those Clyde. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> so the two become engaged in July of 2020. And th this, to me, is one of the most interesting things about the two's relationship. So Gabby tells the mother at one point that the relation, that the engagement was called off. However, everyone else around Gabby and Brian say that the that the engagement was still going on. To me, that's interesting because it would suggest that there's a good chance that the mother at this point does not approve of Brian. And that's why she's telling him the engagement is off. Normally, you know, all the mothers I know, they can't wait to have grandchildren. And, you know, Brian's family, um, as bizarre as their personality is, they are financially well off. Um, I wouldn't call them highly wealthy, but... They're financially better than most people. I think the the laundries uh, own a juicing company. Or... Yeah, so they own a company that makes um, juicing machines that are used in restaurants. So they, you know, those types of machines sell for a few thousand a piece. So they probably, you know, I I would guess they make several hundred thousand a year. What's um, interesting, we'll that. we'll touch on this a little later, is their behavior in terms of finances as part of this narrative, mm -hmm. which is kind of odd, especially with that, you know, the fact that they're business owners, you know, like that. So we'll, we'll kind of probably come back to that later in the story, but, um, yeah. And so they, so they ended up in Florida and ended up living with, with the laundries in, yeah. in their house. There's some speculation that, that they were living in a condo apart from the parents. Mm -hmm. I know that the parents did own, a couple of rental properties that they, uh, I know I confirmed myself that they sold one of the rental properties along this, like in July, just yeah. before the story broke. Yeah. And there was, um, you know, there's a lot of, it's not clear as to whether or not the parents were charging them any type of rent or anything for room and board. It's really, I wouldn't say there's definitely a no on that. It's not known, but right. it sounds like um, if they were charging them rent, they were pretty flexible um, about whether or not the two were going to pay it. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I don't judge it. I mean, they're your kids. You know, you're trying to get help your kids get on their feet. Yeah, I mean, they were, I, you know, everybody at this point knows that Gabby was the one who purchased the, the used the Ford Transit yeah. van that they renovated. Wow. We don't know any detail about the cost of renovating it or, or fixing it up for their trip. That would cost a lot, though. I mean, some of the renovations they did for that van, um, and Brian does not strike me as highly mechanical. I, um, it's hard to tell. There's some so, video of him working on the van. Yeah. And he, I think I think I saw a video of him with a blowtorch, like doing oh, some... Maybe. So, I mean, I, I, they could have put the ladder on the back mm -hmm. uh, in the roof rack, potentially. I mean, I don't know how complicated that would be to do. but So at least until about 30 seconds ago, not everybody knew that they had a Ford Transit van because <clears throat> I, I knew very little about so, this. So, yeah, we got a little ahead of it. But yeah. so basically what happens is they, they move in and they're working, like Dave said, they're working in Florida. And then at some point they must have decided we want to do this road trip across the country. So she paid for a van that they renovated together in the laundry's driveway in Florida. Mm -hmm. And then what they did was 
before they started their trip, they didn't leave from Florida. They actually went to Long Island to, I think, to her brother's graduation. Yeah. And they left from Long Island on their trip to go west. And that's kind of where the story begins at that point. Yeah, and the renovations done to the van were actually, yeah, I mean, they were impressive, some of the um, renovations. So they made the van almost like a camper that would not be as expensive in gas as you would normally have if you, you know, if you take an RV or something, they don't get very good gas mileage. Right. So it would be a, a relatively expensive trip. But what they did was they took this van. Um, Gabby had purchased it in December, um, and they completely redid it. So you could basically, you could live in this um, pretty comfortably. Um, yeah. You know, and maybe so, Brian knew some truck because I know there are some truckers who drive the rigs, and they'll do this with a part of their rig. They'll make it like it's pretty impressive what some people come up with. Oh yeah, those 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 eighteen wheeler. They'll yeah. put an extended cab with a sleeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's they really hook those up. Um, well, I mean, if you're driving cross country, cross country, yeah, yeah and that saves yeah. you a lot of money. But this yeah. was a, I think it was a 2012 Transit van. So picture an older, smaller van with no uh it's not like the extended um amazon trucks that you see now mm -hmm. um no windows on the sides the doors open the back doors open uh from the middle out you know these two doors swing open like that yep. but they had a black ladder on the back so they could get up onto the roof and they had a roof rack up top uh-huh um Nice. Yeah. So, so far, it sounds like a really clever idea for a couple of people. To yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's like we, who wouldn't want to escape and, you know, take and off? And... So is this like the main thing in the story is the van? Or? The van is a key component to a lot of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, it sounds like they were kind of, you know, and some people do make a lot of money <laughs> off of, you know, like a YouTube channel. And it sounded like they kind of had a vision that if they did this nomadic lifestyle and kind of posted on YouTube and social media that they may be able to generate, you know, a large enough following that they're, you know, having, you know, that's basically their source of income. And they, yeah, they have a support it. They had or have, I don't know if it's still active or even up, uh, but their YouTube channel was called Nomadic Static. Mm -hmm. Um and then they each had their own Instagram accounts. Uh -huh. So I think it was the part of the dream was to have a YouTube channel, store, you know, video, uh, video their trip, and then build a following and mm. potentially generate revenue off of YouTube. But before we get right into their trip, let's talk a little bit about what their life was like in Florida, according to one of Gabby's close friends. Now, Gabby, of course, she moves to Florida, so she didn't originally know really anybody there. Um, but Gabby's a very social person. She meets a couple people. Um, it, I don't know if it's... A, I'm not going to mention the friend's name. Um, just a friend of Gabby describes their... Um, life together as um, Gabby wants a social life. Gabby um, Gabby does seem pretty extroverted when you look at some of her videos. Um, so she would typically want to have, you know, a lot of people around. She's going to not be the type of person that just wants to kind of have one person and, you know, 
kind of close conversation. She's more of a person that would want a kind of a little small party at best. Um, and, you know, um, Brian seems a little bit more self-centered. I wouldn't necessarily even say he's so much an introvert, but he's a very self-centered person. And Brian does not like Gabby having friends, um, male or female. According to Gabby's friend, um, Brian would often hide Gabby's driver's license so she could not go to bars or clubs um, in Florida. And he, uh, of course, knows how to get into her phone, so he frequently, you know, looks and see who's called her, see who she's texted, that kind of thing. Um, and you, you got to keep in mind that these two people are, you know, they're... Now in their 20s, um, you know, they're supposedly planning to be engaged to be married. And um, this is pretty, this is extremely controlling and juvenile behavior, especially when you consider this level, this age. He's 23 years old, Mm. Um, you know, so he should have you know, develop something beyond that kind of behavior by this point in his life, and he clearly hasn't. Um, And it's not clear as to whether or not the parents are aware of how bad this relationship actually is, how toxic this relationship is, and are just ignoring it, or, you know, um, but realistically if his parents were aware at minimum they really should have had brian in counseling um at a minimum because uh that's just this type of behavior is a it's a warning sign especially at that kind of age you know you're 20 23 years old um yeah i think the uh, with the parents and this this is a theme throughout this whole story is how much did they know mm -hmm. about their son's behavior and how much did they enable it, you know? Yeah, and of course, we n- none of us want to see something wrong with our own kid. But when your child is acting in ways that you know are not appropriate, you know, uh, you have to get a kid to counseling, um, you know, at minimum. You know, you have to do intervention because if you just expect those types of behaviors are just going to go away on their own. Um, not really. Once, Especially once somebody's gone through the adolescent years. I mean, adolescence, you know, we don't consider oppositional defiance disorder, for example, a warning sign if you see it in a teenager, um, although it's something you keep an eye on. However, once you get to a certain age, opposition defiant behavior is no longer even considered that. It's considered a symptom of uh, narcissism or psychopathy. Um, and, you know, the, so you have to, you know, as a parent, you have to be observant of these things if you don't want these types of situations to go on. Um, Unless one of the parents was also <laughs> it know. is very possible um you know it's yeah i mean of course we're going to have a lot of talk about the parents so um but there's definitely there's definitely something that's not right with mom and dad um in brian's life and uh so but let's talk about the road trip yeah. and we've already talked about the van um so they are going to go and depart from New York, as Lou said, and their trip um, 
has social media posts. Um, I'm not going to go into a total chronological order, but they hit Monument Rock, Great Sand Dunes National Park, um, Zion National Park, Bruce Bryce Canyon National Park, Mystic Hot Springs, Canyonlands National Park. So they're going all over the country, um, especially in the western kind of parts. Um, and they would put social media posts that would typically show the two as relatively happy, but I did notice at some point, um, Gabby becomes very quiet and Brian becomes very visibly dominant of the conversation. And why I bring that up is that is a sign of narcissism. Um, when were, were all their videos still up and everything? You know, the funny thing is they, they had one video that they did, and it was, it was almost like a, a trailer. It wasn't, um, so it's, it's almost like a, and, and the funny thing too about the video is that they had some drone footage. So they had some money to buy a drone mm -hmm. and have that as part of their trip budget or whatever, their production budget. So they, they did spend some, a decent amount of money, which kind of goes back to Dave's comment about not knowing if they paid rent while they were renting and staying with the parents, but they certainly had some money that they dropped on this van and, you know, or, you know. But it's not clear, like, did Gabby pay for everything? Did Brian contribute? You know, um, And Gabby definitely was the one that was making more money because she was working two jobs, um, whereas Brian only worked one. Um, they were both, you know, um, you know, not high-paying jobs. Yeah. Taco Bell, nutritionist, probably. It's Florida, so I don't even know what the minimum wage is in Florida. I think it's only like $7 an hour, though. And it's uh, the key thing to remember, keep in mind as we go through this is that Gabby paid for the van. It's her van. And Brian is frequently the one driving it. So if you see a lot of their um, pictures and when they get pulled over, um, which is about what we're going to talk about. So things start to really become visibly bad on August 2nd. The police received uh, two reports of a domestic incident. One caller st stated that they witnessed a male slapping a female and then start running down the street. And the woman followed, got hit again. The man then gets into a white van and began to drive off. Another stated that he saw a man trying to take a woman's cell phone. And she was punching him, according to this witness, in the arm. Um, and he gets into the white van, leans out the passenger window and asked why you have to be so mean and drove off so right now we have heard that there's been a physical altercation between the two um this is what the police by now should know there's physical altercation between the two at some point the male drove off without the female um so the police go looking for the white van they spot it driving near the entrance of a national park and they pull the van over Inside of the vehicle, there is Brian Landry, who is driving, and Gabby is in the passenger seat crying uncontrollably. The police start this off correctly. They take Gabby out of the patrol car, and, or out of the, the van, and individually into the uh, patrol car so they can talk to her without Brian knowing what she's saying. Um, 
She tells the officer initially that she has bad OCD and was stressed from building a website for her blog, which led her to fight with Brian in the morning. When asked about the marks on her face, she started downplaying to some degree the assault and then indicated that Brian had not so much hit her, but grabbed her face and told her to shut up. And then Petito then said she hit Brian several times herself. Brian then gets questioned by the police. Um, he's, his demeanor is totally different. He's very calm. He is very collected. He tells them that Gabby had been in a manic state. Um, this isn't actually what really appears to be the case in the video. If you look up what symptoms of somebody in a manic state actually are, Gabby doesn't really fit that. But the police seem to accept Dr. Landry's diagnosis, um, and they ignore uh, possible warning signs that the situation is really out of control, um, such as Gabby at no point stops crying, um, and Brian is completely almost like he's hypnotized and when you see two people who have been in a confrontation you expect both are going to have a level of energy that's consistent with you know you've just been in a confrontation that's just normal behavior so brian being as calm as he was really should have immediately given them a clue there's something not normal here he was very timid he was very yeah he 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 becomes very, he's manipulative. He's a manipulative person. So he's trying to pretend to be just such a nice, swell guy. And this is a very well-known video at this point. Um, it, it came out after the, the, the whole story had kind of broken open, you know, worldwide. So when the video came out, it was all the cop camera footage of the officers that pulled them over. And it's really upsetting to watch because she's so upset. Mm -hmm. um, but you can really see him. You know, he he's oh sorry, I, I I hit the curb when I pulled over, and they they were pulled over speeding. Um, but just his whole demeanor, like Dave said in in the in the stop and the in the footage, he's just very much like oh sorry about that, and you know, real mellow and real meek with the with the police. So it's a real contrast, and it makes you really think, like, what what was he like before the cops got there? Or what was he like in the van? Or And just to, just to go back a bit, um, this domestic incident was, this was in Moab, Utah, mm -hmm. outside of a, of a, of a uh, natural food store type of place. So that, it's called the Moonflower Cafe, and that's a real kind of key component in this, in this story arc. Um, we'll come back to Moab, but this is kind of where it all began, like where the, where everything kind of blew yeah, up. Yeah, this is the first that we know of domestic situation that's documented. Now, my suspicion with these two is that um, with Brian, there was more domestic violence. It escalated. It wasn't always as severe, but um, it's very clear Brian has no restraint about putting his hands on Gabby. Um, what are the cops supposed to do here, by the way? Because she's like really refusing to say much about what happened. It's a common thing with domestic violence, um, is that the victim will con will 
oftentimes downplay the severity of what happened mm-hmm. because what they're thinking about is, all right, when the cops leave, I got to deal with the repercussions of now that person's going to be more upset because, well, what did you say to the police? And, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, there, so she was really downplaying everything and didn't want to see him go to jail. And, you know, but in this case, what was really weird uh, and, and shows kind of, again, the, the need for more training uh, at a minimum is how the police shifted to now saying, well, you hit Gabby, you hit Brian, so you're the aggressor, right? They didn't look at the signs. They didn't look at all the things, you know, Dave's talking about earlier were like how calm and, and, and just the subtle manipulation that he was doing on the cops even. Yeah, and it is important to, to note that a female can be charged with domestic assault just the same as a man, and she did admit that she had strict that she had hit Brian. She also um, does say that she hit him before he ever touched her. Um, however, there is still there is a need, and I'm not gonna sit there and just blame the police for this because this is a social problem. When we send police to these domestic situations. Um, we are sending people who are not trained in psychology at all that really don't necessarily uh, have the ability to pick up on potential warning signs that this is an ongoing domestic situation. Um, And some of the ideas that are behind the programs that are oftentimes referred to with the slogan, defund the police, which is a slogan I really do not like, because um, it's really not what you're saying. Um, not saying defund the police. We're saying instead of just sending police in, send in a social worker, send in a trained mental health counselor to kind of pick up on the situations that we may not necessarily have police well trained in. And, y- you know, y- that's not a knock on the police. Um, you know, there are a lot of. We ask so much of the police. We ask them to be counselors. We ask them to be, you know, um, protectors of our our freedoms um, as well. Um, We often are asking them to really analyze things that we haven't given them training to analyze. And, you know, they are doing the best they can. Now... All that said, in this particular situation in the Moab police, it was also high misogyny uh, going on because the police even at one point start fist bumping Brian. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And one of the cops said, you know, I have to deal with this with my wife too. Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, one of the cops said to Gabby, you know, something about taking a hot shower and calming down. Yeah, and it was (laughs) kind of like their attitude was, you know, give Brian... Uh, his merit badge and give her her Midol and let's call it a day kind of attitude that the police And and that's not a stretch. It was almost like, so there were, what Dave's referring to is after, so what they did is they came to the conclusion that we're not going to charge anyone. We're going to separate them for the night. Um, And it's more of a, it's a, it's more of a, uh, a suggestion. Yeah. They can't technically enforce it either. Right. So, they say, okay, Brian, we're gonna we're gonna transport you downtown to a motel, and it's not a domestic violence motel. It's just a motel that yeah. 
we've utilized before in that scenario. Is there a domestic violence motel? No, it, meaning like there's not an official, you know. That's a police station. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, Gabby, you stay with the van, yeah. which is interesting. So, but. Again, I struggle to understand what the police are supposed to do, even if they are super trained and are able to divine the intentions of people they've never met. What the hell are they supposed to do? You can't just lock a guy away or... Or you well, can't you, see. well, you 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 can arrest somebody, and you know whether he gets locked away or for how long or what the situation amounts to beyond that is up to the court system. Um, you know, he uh, domestic assault and battery. I don't know uh, what the laws are in Utah. It's not like an a felony. He's not looking at twenty years or anything like that for being locked. Um, but he would be spending the night in jail. Um, oh, they did separate them for the night. They right? did separate. And he them. did well, fist bump them. <laughs> well, and, and so, then, so go, yeah, so basically, in in the car ride that Brian had with the police, the the one officer, they're talking, and the officers, you know, like Dave said, there's there's this kind of conversation about, yeah, you know, well, my wife gets like that too, that type of you know, bro kind of conversation, right? Mm -hmm. So right away, you're like, oh god, and. Uh, you know, again, talking about what they should do, even if Brian were sent to jail for the night, what I think a lot of people talked about in hindsight was the fact that if Brian had gone to jail for the night, there would have been a hearing that they would have mm -hmm. he would have had to attend. In other words, it may have de-escalated or prevented the worst from happening. But on the other hand, again, a lot of victims end up getting worse treatment after yeah. the fact because now you've now well you you got me arrested mm -hmm. you know yeah it is not a simple problem to solve and to be fair police deal with domestic violence situations probably similar to this where it's really just a couple that had an argument um, and they may just be assuming that that's all it is. Because there are times where you might see two people screaming at each other in, like, a parking lot or whatever. And neither one has actually hit the other, but you feel compelled to call the police, and many people will. So police do end up dealing with situations like that at times. Um, you know, but... You know, and that's where the the training comes in and the uh, ability to really pick up on any signs. And, you know, the court system, it, it's not perfect. Um, but when there is an arrest for domestic violence, um, they do try to at least figure out what's going on. Now, not as thoroughly as they will if there's a child involved and in this case they were not children they're they are adults um you know if there was a child involved there would be almost uh, automatically a guardian ad litem provided for the child um social workers and whatnot um but the victim would still have to talk to social workers and they'd figure things out um <clears throat> to some degree i mean it's not a magic spell um you know there, you know, unfortunately, there are people that are like Brian in the world. There are not a lot of them. They can be very manipulative. That's the other problem with people like Brian. He is a manipulative person. And, um, but that's something that I think counselors can pick up on very quickly. It's this person isn't just a swell guy, he's trying to manipulate me. And a counselor can pick up on that. Yeah. So. Yeah. There, there are, 
a, definitely a, a series of people have weighed in with you know with that kind of training mm-hmm. that have commented on his social media posts, the way he wrote them, um, his photographs. You know, they've really analyzed a lot of that. And when you when you look at it through that lens, you're like, oh, okay. And you you see what's going on, but to the untrained eye, you don't necessarily pick up on these things, you know. And again, cops who probably see this thing every day, it's like, what the hell am I supposed to do, really? Like, realistically, she says that she hit him first. She's not really all that damaged. You're going to haul this into court every time it happens? You need three million more cops in this country, for sure. And, that, and that's part of the problem, too, is, is after her death, then in hindsight, it's very easy to analyze and, mm-hmm. and kind of look at this. But it, but in the moment, they were like, well, what what can we do here? She's saying this. You know, she's saying she doesn't want to see him go to jail. They're engaged. You know, they're, and, but again, it's they're, they're looking through it through this certain lens with, they're not looking and analyzing his body language. They're not, because they don't have the training to do and, that. And so that's where I'm going getting with the, having the additional training is that they don't know what to look for versus, is this just two kids that are having an argument that got too emotional? Or is this a more violent situation? And the police really don't have the training to analyze things like that very thoroughly. Yeah, and I don't even think they should have that training because um, usually, usually when they're they they want to be a cop, they're not looking to be a therapist or a, no, you know, and so they're not. And they sh- they should get like you said, social workers that go along those domestic violent calls. They should go ride alongs. Let's just focus on training cops not to shoot innocent people. Well, yeah, yeah, but um, that's but, um, another podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot but, of our podcasts. Yeah, it will be. But yeah. yeah, I don't think the. But having the additional yeah. social worker gives right. the gives law enforcement an additional N- another tool. tool yeah. to try and understand: is this just two kids that are getting a little? And and not to say a social worker might not miss it too. Of course, they could. But I think um, I think this but goes just a better chance. Yeah, it's like that whole conversation about okay if you're a cop and you show up at a at an accident scene you call an emt they come and they deal with the medical issue right but Mm -hmm. it's really the bigger picture of how does how do we approach mental health in this country and Mm -hmm. how do we respond to these things like you know they're going to call an emt to fix a broken arm or to bring someone to the hospital to get that fixed but if it's a behavioral issue or a mental health issue or a domestic violence issue, like you said, like that's a whole other, you know, responding kind of yeah. team that's required. And I think any social worker or anybody who's taken a little bit of psychology would have noticed that Brian showing such little emotion after just being involved in something where, you know, somebody he's supposed to love was striking him. The, the contrast I mean, we is... Would, we would be emotional. The contrast in, in that video is really yeah. striking because so. she's so upset. So how is he not even close to that? His pulse yeah. is just so flat. Yeah. Like he's just totally chill. So, you know, without getting too... Um, so that's the Moab domestic violence yeah, that incident. Was the, most, the Moab situation. Right. And then they're separated for the night and then... And then they get back together yeah so he's at a motel downtown moab like within a a one minute walk from the moonflower cafe where they were seen fighting we don't know where she is 
she could have been right in the parking lot of the motel for all we know. We, nobody knows that at this point. We don't know if they got back together, but what we do know um, is that someone claims that they were seen at a popular tavern that night, that same night. It's called Woody's Tavern. And this is all part of the narrative because um, around the same time, there was a, a two women were a couple. Yeah, and so they were, we'll get into that more yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. But, they, but that's all part of this Moab kind of narrative that's going on at this point in the trip. So on the 17th of, Flor- of August, uh, 17th of Florida, uh, Brian flew back to Florida. And so his lawyer will indicate later that this return trip was to clean a storage area, but he's gone a week. Um, so it must have been one hell of a storage area um, that if it takes you a week to clean it. Um, so I don't actually believe this. Um, but on the 23rd, he'll return and meet back up with Gabby at Fairfield Inn, which is just outside of Salt Lake City. Um, workers at Fairfield Inn do confirm that Abby herself was the one checking in and checking out. So they were given photos. So they were not, they were convinced that she's still alive. And on the morning of August 27th, the two were seen at a Tex-Mex restaurant in Wyoming. Um, and this is where they all have a bizarre incident with the wait staff of the Tex-Mex. And uh, not really clear exactly what upset Brian, but Brian got very upset with the workers at this um, restaurant. And he has a pretty long um, and drawn-out argument with them. After leaving, the two will leave the Tex-Mex. But then uh, Gabby comes back in crying and apologizes to the staff at the restaurant um, for Brian's behavior. Um, Brian does not, uh, as far as we know, ever apologize for his conduct. Um... On the 26th, 27th, and 28th, there is a woman who says she saw a white van driving in a very bizarre manner. On the third occurrence, she films it. And this becomes important because this film of this white van would end up being what would lead the police to Gabby's body. Um, so she filmed him driving the van right near where Gabby's body will eventually be found. On the 29th of August, um, witnesses pick up a hitchhiker in Coulter Bay Village. He claims he's been camping for days, but according to these um, people who picked him up, he was spotless, clean, didn't smell at all like he'd been camping. Um... He then offers the couple $200 for a ride to Jackson, Wyoming. The couple says that they're going to Jackson Hole, which is right now, which is basically the same place for all intents and purposes. And Brian flips out and gets out of the vehicle. On the same night, another person picks up Brian Landry hitchhiking and he gives her gas money and asks her to drop him off several miles from where he said his van actually was. 
And she indicated that as he got close to the van, he begins, um, where he says the location is, he begins acting very anxious. So a woman picked him up as a hitchhiker? A woman picked him up as a hitchhiker. She's brave. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Um, Then there'll be several text messages sent to Gabby's mother from Gabby's phone. This alerted Gabby's mother. On the 27th of August, there was a text that read, Can you help Stan? I keep missing his texts and voicemails. Uh, This is what the reason that this strikes his mother as um, bizarre is because Stan is Gabby's grandfather, and she doesn't call him by his first name. She calls him Grandpa. So it seemed to his mother that somebody else had uh, sent this text. Um, Hmm. So on the 28th, she received a bizarre text that says from Gabby's phone that just simply says, hey, there's no service in Yosemite. And now, if you look at all the texts that were sent back and forth to Gabby, there were probably plenty of times where she was in places that had very little or if any cell service, and she never once reports to her mother that she's in an area with no cell service except for the 28th. Um, On... The 1st of September, Brian Landry comes back home. He's in Gabby's van. This van belongs to Gabby. Uh, She is not there. So naturally, out of concern for Gabby, his parents decided they'd go camping and ignore inquiries from Gabby's mother for the next few days. Um, Best we can tell um, that Gabby mother had very brief conversations with the family not even clear if it was directly with brian and basically brian just suggests that gabby broke broke up with him and left him and he has no knowledge of her whereabouts um but you know like most people do when they break up with somebody they give them a free vehicle you know so i mean they do Oh yeah, I mean, you get a car, you know, you, it's, it's like being. I should on break the price up, break up more often. Yeah. Okay, like, you get a free car. Yeah, so he's got her car. So for some reason, the parents don't believe him that Gabby just randomly broke up with him and decided she's gonna live nowhere in you know Utah or Nevada and not have any communication with her parents um, and just give him his van, mm-hmm. this van. Um, So on the 11th of September, Gabby's mother will file a missing persons, and the Landry family receives a statement saying that Brian has a lawyer and that he will not be cooperating with the investigation. I mean, the Petito 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 family gave out a statement basically saying, yeah, we got a lawyer and we won't be cooperating in any way. Um, so the obviously, Petito or the Landry? I Landry, sorry. So sorry. the so the so the Landry family uh, were in Florida, and when the local police, the Northport police, went to their house, they wouldn't talk to the police. They just handed the police their lawyer's business card. Mm-hmm. The lawyer that the Landry family got was back in Long Island, where they're originally from. Okay. So Gabby's mom who I think her remarried name is Schmidt, 
Um, so both Gabby's mom and Gabby's dad, who, by the way, was living in Florida, uh, he had moved down to Florida to be closer to her. So he he was in Florida and Gabby's mom was in Long Island. But the missing persons was filed in Long Island by her mother. Mm. So now the family, the laundry family, basically says, totally guilty, but I dare you to prove it. Mm -hmm. Essentially, they lawyered up, and they, um, but then, you know, this is uh, the the next odd thing in their behavior chain is they decide to go camping Mm -hmm. and take Brian with them on this long Labor Day weekend camping trip. (laughs) Yep. It's odd. Yeah. So, um, and the police will end up naming Brian as a person of interest in the investigation. Now, this does not mean that there's a warrant for his arrest, but this does give the police some leeway as far as surveillance, um, as long as he's in public areas or they're not invading his own property. So they set up surveillance for Brian, and by their own admission... Uh, they confuse Brian for Brian's mother. Brian gets into a car and drives off. That must be an ugly woman. Yeah, well, it's like she's the one that has no hair. Brian's bald. So the one without the hair and the one with no boobies is uh, actually not the mom. Um, but they didn't realize that. And, and Brian is not a curvy gentleman. Yeah, he's not. He's, he's scrawny. He's a <clears throat> toothpick. Um, and so Josh uh, Taylor, who is the spokesperson of the North um, Port Police, uh, uh, basically his only defense for this was saying, well, you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> so Apparently. they're not perfect. Um, on the 17th, The parents basically now tell the police that, oh, Brian, he went missing on the 14th. Um, We just didn't figure we'd tell you until the 17th. And then later when they thought about it longer, they actually said it was actually the 13th he went missing. So they gave the police a couple different dates. Um, On the 19th of September uh, at Spread Creek's dispersed camping area, uh, in the vicinity of where witnesses had seen Brian driving suspiciously, the remains uh, of Gabby Petito were found. It took about two days for them to confirm it was Gabby. Hey, what is suspicious driving, by the way? <clears throat> Do you know? Um, she, she didn't... I don't know exactly what she described, um, but she saw it several days in a row, and she decided to film it. So I don't know what she meant by suspicious driving. This is um, just a random witness? Yeah, and she's the one that films the white van. Um, so he was doing something that made her think that there was something going on to the point where she decides to take out her cell phone and film it. And it ends up being um, just off the road of where Gabby's body was put. That's interesting. Maybe he was screaming, I killed Gabby. What's interesting, because I had only heard of the, there's a couple that uh, that live out of their RV with their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only story I had seen was that that couple had a, um, a camera mounted in their car, in their RV. I forgot, uh, what is it called? A uh, dash cam or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... They got video of the van parked on the on the edge of the road, 
And this dispersed camping area, for yeah. anyone who doesn't know, is basically a, a – they can kind of – there are no facilities. It's not like a, a formal kind of camping area. It's You can just kind of park anywhere. So um, I think the – I think they go under the handle Red, White, and Bethune. And they were uh, – so they caught the – because they were from Florida, and they saw the van and had Florida plates. So they're like, oh, maybe we'll say hi or whatever. And they drove by, and they and they had the van on on their camera, but they didn't realize it till after Gabby was found, or I'm sorry, not not after Gabby was found, but when when the news broke, mm-hmm. they went back and said, "Wait a minute, we saw that van," mm-hmm. and that is that was what I understood the tip was that led them to go search in that area. Oh, interesting. So I read it as they said the van was driving suspiciously and they okay. seen it. Yeah, I'd never days. seen that part. I oh. don't know if it was a dash cam or not, but it was a camera. She got that it. That seems on more film. plausible. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So. so um but yeah it was also like parked on an edge of the road in a weird in a way you typically wouldn't be parked there. Yeah. And they and I there is some speculation. I haven't seen enough information to know if park rangers had flagged the van or or gone out to the van and marked it. There's some some people think that they had seen where the rangers had said, "Hey, you're not really supposed to be parked there," and that's still to be determined. You know that because you would think that if the rangers would have chimed in at some point along this narrative to say, "Yeah, we we." Mm. We, you know, the van was empty, or we gave them a notice to move, or something like that. But <clears throat> the you know, key does... point here is that, that there is a film of the white van being right near where the body was. Does he deny <clears throat> being there? Oh, well, he's he's no longer living, so he oh, I have no idea. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we're Spoiler getting to that. I'm, I'm new to this. We're, so we're getting there. How close was the body found to that? Like six feet. Uh, across a creek, so a creek, yeah. less than a thousand feet, I think. Yeah. Pretty close, like so. a stone, like a stone's throw. Yeah. He didn't uh-huh. do a very good job trying to really. Uh, typically, people who hide bodies do a little bit better than what he did. This what body was not well hidden. Was it like under a couple of branches or something? That, I, I can't. I can't see anywhere that was con- confirmed if, if if she was left out in the open, if she was buried. Because that would also indicate some level of remorse or they guilt. They would not have put that out. They'll probably put that out eventually. So they would not... Things that they won't put out, thing, details like that, oftentimes because when they question a suspect, if the suspect happens to say something like that that people didn't actually know, yeah, they can use that. So so, um, so, we're, so on, on the 13th of September... Brian's parents said that that's the last time they saw him. He left the house and he said he was going hiking or going on a hike. Yeah. And there's a lot of reserves nearby, um, and that plays a big part in this story too. At that point, but so around the 13th, that's when they said they lost saw him, but they didn't report him missing until I think the 17th. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was the 17th, and initially they said they he went missing on the 14th, but then they changed their mind and said it was the 13th. Um, this is pretty interesting because, and we'll talk about the reserves in a few minutes. Um, but generally, if somebody was hiking in those reserves and you were aware that they had gone and they didn't return, uh, you'd be kind of concerned. But we'll talk about that in a minute. So, so they never actually found them. We'll talk about that oh, in a minute. Okay. 
So, all right. Patience. Patience, young Jedi. <laughs> Patience, young Jedi. <laughs> On the 12th of October, Gabby Petito's autopsy is going to be released. She died of manual strangula- strangulation sometime between three and four weeks of when her body was discovered. Um, it seems like she does probably based on what the autopsy says and what witnesses say, um, 26, 27, 28 kind of, um, time frame is what you're getting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, manual strangulation. Let's talk about that for a second. If you choke somebody, they will pass out pretty quickly. However, to actually cause somebody to die for manual strangulation, it takes several minutes. Good to know. Um, so there is no way that somebody whose cause of death was manual strangulation was killed accidentally. So this is not a situation where Brian went to grab her neck and just went didn't know his own strength or, you know, this is not an accidental killing. Um, you would have to kill somebody intentionally to kill them this with this manner. Um so, and you would also have to know that, um, because most people wouldn't even know that. So, um, well, what's interesting about part of this narrative is that in a lot of his social media posts of pictures of him, he's making a point to talk about and show that he was really into serial killers and reading books like, you know, reading Fight Club or reading other books, um, and it, so it wasn't just a one-off thing. It was like a pattern with him. And he, and he also would, would say things like, we're reading together or we're reading parts of the book out loud with the, like, you know, Gabby and Brian. It was almost like he was including her. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know a lot of women that would want to, sh- you know, read parts of a serial killer book out loud with their boyfriends. But maybe I I'm know just, a lot of them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm just maybe I'm just involved with the wrong different women. <laughs> kind of weird. Yeah, well, you know, Re- reading anything out loud together is a little weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the whole thing just felt very odd. Mm. You know, I. I don't all right, know honey, about your this, turn. So read I, that paragraph. <laughs> well, I mean, Jill and I watch all sorts of serial killer-oriented shows. Yes, but you're not like reading out loud to each other. You're not reading out loud in a, in a camp <laughs> out camping in the you know. I don't know. See, this is why Jill is missed today, because we could say, Jill, you know, <laughs> what do you think <laughs> from a woman's perspective? <laughs> a lot of people are fascinated with serial killers, though. Yeah. So. Oh, I mean, I, I'll watch CSI yeah. Vegas still. I'll go back and rewatch it. But um, yeah, just that whole aspect of it is a little because it felt a little more down into the weeds than uh-huh. most people would do. Yeah, I mean, people get interested in that thing, too, but, you know, it's it's definitely, it's kind of like, you know, when the the DC sniper case uh, was there, and one of the things that his lawyer tried to use as a defense um, for um, Malbo was that Malbo had watched The Matrix more than a hundred times, but it's not really any evidence that, you know, um, I mean, that would have any effect on somebody other than um, you'd probably get bored with it after a while, I mean, but, you know. Or be really into Keanu Reeves. Yeah, so. But 
anyways, um, the Brian's still missing at this point, and um, so this. But at this point, we have the FBI's looking for him. Uh, Dog the bounty hunters looking for him. Really? Yeah, he came down. Is he um, still a thing? Um, he's a thing, all right. Um, he's still a murderer, in my opinion. He he did murder somebody, and he should have gotten a life sentence. Oh, really? And yeah. He, oh, I had no idea. Yeah, he him and he was part of like a biker gang, and him and another individual. This was down in Texas. Um, drove to a rival drug dealer's house, knocked on the door. Now, Dog the Bounty Hunter was just the driver. Um, his accomplice, when this individual opened his door, was shot by um, and killed instantly by these people. Um, and Dog the Bounty Hunter basically got five years. Hmm. Um, so, And then claimed he found God. Of course. Wait, so. so who did Dog kill? I thought that... I don't know the name of the person off the top of my head. You'd have to Google it. You're okay. the Google guy. Normally I am, but uh, not today. It's just it sounded to me like he happened to be sitting in a car when his friend got shot. No, he, he was. it was not his friend. It was uh, basically an argument with another drug dealer. Um, Dog the Bounty Hunter was a, uh individual who was in some sort of biker gang. And hold on, let me see. Oh, well, anyways, he's, he's. I thought he was, like, thought he was so like last decade. Yeah, I didn't mean to take us off the rails. So. We can, yeah, deal with dog another day. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll fi- I'll, I'll get the name of the victim in that case, and I'll, I'll put it in the. Yeah, put somewhere. it in the queue because that might be kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so this is the part of the story where nobody knows where Brian is. Is he in the nearby reserve? Is, you know, now we're getting people saying he's, oh, I saw him on the Appalachian Trail. Or, you know, the guy, um, who's the guy that does the show where he, he catches people? John he's, Walsh. John Walsh is now in the picture. John oh, wow. Walsh John Walsh thinks he Bringing went to Mexico. Back, huh? yeah. um, you know, so everybody think you know, some people think he got on a boat from the camping trip they took and never came home and left on a boat somewhere. Um, you know, there's all kinds of crazy things out there, speculation and, and, uh, and the, the nearby reserve, by the way, this is still, and, you know, August and, and into September, Florida had a ton of rain in August. So the, the reserve is completely flooded out and, um, it's not like, you know, they can do searching very well there, but they're focused on that nearby reserve heavily. They're going in there with dogs and trying to you know get vehicles in there but it's really wet and it's really difficult to search with teams in there um but they the authorities seem to have all their search focused in that one area so they had some kind of information that led them to stay on that trail so they found gabby did the autopsy and now they're Brian's looking for been missing for several weeks. Um, and where are they looking now? Is this the reserve? So they're in a they're, they're in a nearby reserve uh, in Northport, where Which Bri- state? Where, in Florida. Florida. This, so they're so Brian because Brian went back home, and he went missing on the thirteenth. Now he's now he's gone. Now we're now we're going through the whole month of September, and they're searching. But they're searching in this one reserve in this one area in the town that he was from. Okay, and she was found in Wyoming? Yes. Okay. 
By the way, the name of the person that was um, killed uh, by Dog the Bounty Hunter was uh, Jerry Oliver. Um, and Poor Jerry. Yeah, poor Jerry. Um, so Dog and his accomplice. Dog was just the getaway car driver. He was not mm. the shooter. Um, but in the state of Texas, that really didn't matter. And he was actually convicted of first-degree murder. So. I'd love to know his real name. My uh, is Dwayne Chapman. Dwayne, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. If there's one thing that'll make you unstable, you'll be named Dwayne. <laughs> Change your name to The Rock. <laughs> yeah. So um, the other thing that's important to note is that at, just after the autopsy comes out, the parents seem to change their tune just a little bit. Brian's parents. Brian's parents, yeah. They kind of, they really up until this point have been basically just telling people, you know, hey, fuck off, you know, we don't care, you know, and... They but, didn't say anything. Yeah, I mean, they were just like, you know, whatever. And when there were protesters on their lawn or whatever, they sometimes get involved with them, you know, little yeah. spats, but... um you know, they were basically like, we don't care, and, um, you know, our kid's missing, and, you know, so is Gabby, and we have no idea what's going on. But once the autopsy comes out, all of a sudden the father and mother seem to be a little bit more interested in helping. And the father basically, on the morning of October 20th, leaves his house at 8.15 to search an area... Um, I'm going to try and pronounce this, uh, Mayakahachi Creek Park. It's pretty good. Um, where he states Brian frequently hiked. Uh, this is near the entrance of the Carlton Reserve, although it's not technically part of it. We're going to talk about that, that in a minute. But So Brian's father is accompanied by two individuals. One is a guide and another is um, uh, law, law enforcement. Um, Chris which is Brian's dad's name, walks up a path, and then immediately he walks into a brush. Now, this is on film. And he just, by happenstance, grabs this backpack that was not visible from the path, um, like he knew exactly where it was. Um, the bag was examined and determined to be Brian's. Um, the full contents still to this date have not been released, but we know there was some sort of journal and there were a couple other items, um, but they haven't really released the first uh, full. Was it a backpack or was it a wet bag? It was like a, yeah, it was some sort of camping thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so. um, yeah, I think, I think a notebook was found, yeah. but there's still no public information about the, yeah. no, the notebook. So, um, but yeah, he beelines it right for that area. And mm -hmm. the crazy thing about watching the video is he, they're kind of alone. There's no, there are no cops around them. The parents are just on this path. Someone's videoing them, some news person or something. Um, the thing to remember about this is this is the day that the, that the reserve is open to the public again. And now the water subsided, but the the parents contacted the authorities and said, yeah, we're going to go look this morning. So basically, like, hey, we're going. And then the, I think law enforcement met them there. And um, when he goes off the path and goes, he's going through brush that's pretty thick. Yeah. You so would not have you, seen this path. There's no way he would have been able to see anything from the path. 
So he knew exactly where he was going. Mm-hmm. So the bag gets examined, and then um, right near it, um, the parents are told to leave the area because they see what is they called apparent human remains. Uh, coroner is taken in, and cadaver dogs are called to the scene. Uh, there's a tent immediately put up um, just a few feet from where the bag was found. About 12 feet from where the bag was found is where Brian's skeletal remains were. Um, these uh, skeletal remains have been confirmed to be Brian's. Um, they were matched by dental records. Um, there are some people who have um, theories that this was not Brian. I tend to highly doubt it. Um, you know, I don't see a bunch of doctors just making up that this is really Brian if it's not. I mean, they're, you know, they really don't have any vested reason to lie about something like that. They compare the dental records. If the dental records are the same, they're the same. Do you have a tin tin hat portion of the episode that you do? So, <laughs> um, I don't, there, um, but yeah, I, I, as far as the... Uh, there are a lot of theories that Brian is still alive. Um, I, I, I highly doubt that. Eddie, Eddie and the Cruisers. Um, so. I think... Uh, I think one of the conspir- one of the theories is that Brian has an uncle who was a dentist. So in other words, they could have planted the bones or the dental records or the, you know, teeth yeah. or whatever, you know. It's not like you can just like, you know, unscrew one person's mouth and screw on somebody else's, yeah. you know. It's not really something you can actually... I'll leave one tooth and <laughs> yeah. then I'll flee. So, know? I mean, you know, I yeah. If they had any questions on the dental records, too, they would have done a DNA analysis because they have the bone marrow still I think there, they, so they may still they... be doing all that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the latest so. is. So but, who killed them? Well, so we're going to get into how we, we, we think might have happened to Brian. At the time of this recording, too, the there was an autopsy that was done, but it was inconclusive, um, both in the estimated time and the cause of death. Uh, so the remains have been sent to an anthropologist for further evaluation to see if we can get two key points. And the two key points will be, what was when did Brian die? Um, and the second key point would be, how did he die? Um, did he commit suicide? Um, you know, was he killed by... Now let's talk about the Carlton Reserve. Um, if you've ever seen the movie The Band of the Hand... Um, this is an 80s movie. Um, They're in the beginning of it. They're in an area basically in the Everglades. Um, The Carlton Reserve is almost as dangerous um, as where these people were. So living out here in the wild, um, just in and of itself, if Brian is just trying to evade law enforcement and kind of living out in the woods... It is very possible that he just died because he got, um, you know, killed by an animal out there. Um, there are a lot of poisonous snakes. They're very easy to step on, um, you know, especially as it gets to dusk because the snakes will still be out, um, but they're very hard to see. Um, so you could easily just step on one, and that's pretty much the end of you. The snake does not appreciate you stepping on him. 
Um, you know, there's alligators, there's various other um, <clears throat> types of animals that could kill a person out there. It would be very hard for somebody who is not a master of orienteering to live for a very long period of time for several weeks um, in that particular area. So that's one possibility. Another. I'm under the impression that he's decapitated. Is that false? Well, they they only found bones. Yeah, they only. That's found what I mean. Bones. Like, uh, was it like? It's only been a couple weeks, right? No, it's well. It was about a month. It was about a month. It was yeah. a little more than a month. So, but I mean, still, if he was killed by, like, let's say he committed suicide, right? Um, an animal could have gotten at his carcass too. So, well, the, I mean, the wild boars out there are the yeah. worst. They'll, yeah. they'll eat everything but teeth. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, so it's possible that Brian died from just trying to evade law enforcement. It's possible he committed suicide. <clears throat> um, you know, it's also possible, although highly unlikely, I think, that somebody just decided to saw this guy in the random woods and decided to off him. I don't think that's likely. I think he either died um, by suicide or he died trying to... His probable, probable plan was, I'm going to hide out here in the woods until things quiet down, then I'm going to try and sneak over some border somewhere. Um, that's possible, and it's possible he died attempting that. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that we really don't know. But one of the things that's going to make a very big difference, I think, as to whether or not Brian Landry's parents may sometime at some point face charges would be how long before, uh, from the point that he went missing, did he die? Because like I said, their, their, their demeanor changed almost immediately. So it's very possible Brian was communicating with them. Let's say he was hiding out in this wilderness. He's communicating with them using disposable cell phones or something like that. They don't hear from him for several days, so they decide now we better find somebody that can help him. Because um, their, their story is really hard to believe. If your child went hiking in a wilderness that you know is as dangerous as this one is, and you didn't hear from him for a couple days, you would go looking for him. There's no evidence whatsoever that Brian's parents ever on the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, even went down to the reserve to just see if they could find, you know, where did you go? The other weird behavior in all that was they went and got their car mm -hmm. at the reserve and brought it back to the house. So it's almost like they knew he wasn't coming home, you know? You wouldn't typically take the car away from your kid who went hiking. Yeah. And bring it back to the house because then you'd have no way to get home. Yeah. So, so it that be, that piece of, of news when that came out, it was that was really strange. So, I mean, when you think about a case against the parents um, for aiding and abetting his evasion, um, it's circumstantial, but there are some strong circumstances, especially if the timeline of death becomes closer to the time which he was found. Um, it might be very hard if they find out, well, no, he probably died within a day or so of the time he went for the hike. 
then you're probably talking it's going to be hard to prove because their their position was yeah he went hiking and we haven't heard from him since well if he was dead obviously you hadn't heard from him since right. um so there's just bizarre behavior but it wouldn't necessarily that you could kind of establish that they were at least telling the truth they're just weird um so um you know it, it will, i i think a lot of it will be dependent on that um and if there's you know things like disposable phones inside of that bag that they found mm -hmm. um then they can figure out who calling who where those phones were yeah and we still don't know at this point uh what the fbi has for tracking any of the digital communications mm -hmm. text messages from any of their devices because they if they get the right kind of subpoena they can yep. potentially go back to the to the carriers and and even look at gabby's phone records and things like that to try to make a timeline mm -hmm. uh, that we just don't know yet um, but the other, the other piece of that too, is the, the laundry family, um, you know, having lawyered up so quickly when Brian got back, we don't know when, like, did he call on and then, you know, mommy said, get home and then she lawyered up. And so what did he tell the parents? Did he lie to the parents? Yeah. I mean, he, he you know, may have said. Listen, um, me and Gabby were having an argument, and I hit her. Or she fell. She fell and hit her whatever. head. Yeah. And, um, but then they get the autopsy report, and that's why they changed their behavior. Yeah. So that's I, possibility one, and you can't dismiss that as a possibility. Um, you know, it, it, it's just really hard to say. He must have told them something, because who just, you know, mm -hmm. when, right. you know, just like, come home and say, hey, Ben, I think I'm going to hire you a lawyer today, you know, just for shits and I, giggles. Yeah, my know, suspicion like. is that they lawyered up because he told them it was an accident. Right. That's my guess. And that, that makes the most sense. But so this is the problem with that, though. If it was an accident, you would think that the lawyer would have been kind of along the lines of, you know what, let's just tell them where the body is let's tell them what happened and because you know you're looking at man one versus murder one um, well the murder one is this in wyoming get you the death penalty the lawyer was a, a longtime family friend and i don't believe he was a criminal defense lawyer i think he was a real estate lawyer hmm. so so it's make, like, hey, let's buy it. You know, <laughs> make, make make of that what you will. I, I don't have any information to say that he's a, an experienced criminal defense attorney. I don't attorney. know anything much about him um, other than... I've, se I've seen him, you know, fairly recently being interviewed in the media, um, kind of angry at the public and the media mm -hmm. and kind of doing the attack defense <clears throat> yeah. kind of Maybe thing. Maybe he's also a dentist. <laughs> so... All right, let's talk about why Brian might have killed Gabby. And there's a couple of theories, and I'm going to start with the one that I think is most plausible. Um, and that is that Brian is just a very controlling, narcissistic individual, and Gabby tried to take back her control over herself, either by breaking it off or... By doing something that made him feel like he no longer had control of her and he couldn't handle it, and out of rage he murdered her. 
Um, note that this is not a crime of passion. It is a crime of ego and insecurity. Um, so this would have been first-degree murder um, if that was the case. There are other theories, and one is that Brian was actually a mass murderer. And uh, let's talk about this because there were several people several dead bodies found in the areas that Gabby and Brian were known to have gone. And these are in towns that, you know, they haven't seen homicides in decades, you know. So all of a sudden you have all these dead bodies um, seeming to follow Brian. Is it possible that Brian was a mass murderer? Well, there's a couple types of mass murderers. Let's talk about that briefly. One of them is the serial killer, and I think that's the least likely um, for Brian. And get into why I think that's least likely. Another is a called a spree killer. Um, that's very similar to a serial killer, but it's basically a person who decides they've had enough of life, they want to end their life, and they're going to take people with them, like mass shooters do, and people like that. I don't think that's likely with Brian. Um, I think that um, there is also, however, another type of mass murder, and that is a person who kills somebody and then realizes that there's other people that could implicate him in the crime, so he kills people he believes can implicate him, um, which could have included Gabby. So there was apparently a story that Brian had a dispute on the day of the domestic assault, um, or Brian... One of the people that actually called in, I think, ended up being one of the deceased, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So there was a, around this time in Moab, um, this is before Brian flew back to Florida and everything. So they're south of Salt Lake City, they're in Moab. They get in the domestic violence dispute outside the Moonflower Cafe. Um, there was a couple, a woman named Crystal and another one named Kylan, mm -hmm. who. Uh, one of them worked at the Moonflower Cafe. Let me guess, Crystal. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember <laughs> who, which one. Good um, guess, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, basically, they were found murdered uh, at, at a campsite in Moab around this time. And so there's a lot of conspiracy theory out there that Brian allegedly could have killed them. And the reason for that is that Remember when the domestic violence report happened and he's pulled over by the cops and the cops are talking to him. I believe that they told him that at least one eyewitness saw them arguing. Now, he knows where they were arguing. It was outside the Moonflower Cafe. So he's back at the motel that night. Let's And there's one witness that said that they were at the, at the tavern nearby that night. Um, and that's when uh, Crystal and Kylan were at the same tavern. So one of the theories is, was Brian, now he's really enraged because he got pulled over and almost got arrested, and now he knows somebody called it in, so then he sees someone from the Moonflower at the tavern, was it them? Do, is there some kind of confrontation? Um, one of the girl's uh, sisters said that she was, she got a message from her sister saying, there's a creepy guy if something happens to us, you know, we were murdered. 
is mm. basically what she said. So now the the here's the theory is because we don't have any evidence is that was Brian the killer. And then Brian and Gabby went up to Jackson and then to the Tetons and then, um, you know, did things escalate from there and then end up, uh, you know, Gabby's demise soon after that. So, yeah, and and I don't dismiss that as possible. I wouldn't say it's highly plausible, but it's certainly possible. Um, And the, the thing about, you know, I mean... Yes, it's possible Brian killed these two people. Um, it's important to note that he has not been connected to any of the murder. And I, right. I think, like, depending on which conspiracy site you go to, anywhere from two to six people, they say, could be possibly have been killed by him on the trail. It's something like that. Well, um, one of the... So the Crystal and Kylan were shot, mm-hmm. and what's... The one thing that's odd is that they were found near a creek, which is matching the behavior of where Gabby was found. But the use of a gun versus strangulation, I don't know enough it's about. A, yeah, and the thing when you think about serial killers, yeah. generally their modus operandi mm. tends to be similar in their various killings. The other thing about serial killers is that they generally kill for kind of different reasons in that like you called the police on me might get a serial killer to provoke to kill you but generally it's something it's more they do things more in this kind of um it's almost like there's something about their victims that sets them off whether it's they just hate like ted bundy hated yeah, women right for example and he hated attractive women the thing about um, the thing about that that I, I i can see though is when you when you look at brian's instagram posts he was very and you touched on this earlier in the beginning of the podcast where mm-hmm. you know was brian a narcissist was he a psychopath well one one kind of piece of a psychopath is you know, instead of blaming a single person for something, you're blaming like all of society. And and a lot of Brian's Instagram posts were like, you know, humanity's ruining nature and, you know, that type of grand statement. And, you know, a lot of their, their pictures were them at national parks, right? But after the after this all kind of went down, people came forward and said, oh, I've got video of us at this park, and that's and Gabby and Brian are in the video, mm-hmm. right? But what you see in the reality of it, behind the Hollywood facade that Brian and Gabby were presenting publicly, you see, you see video and photos of what it was really like, which is a mass of tourists in the same spot that they were in. And to someone like him, the way he was, the way he was talking publicly in these posts, he must have hated how all these tourists were around when he, you know, in his mind, he probably was like, I want this idyllic trip with no one out here but me, you know, and just that kind of like, he had this hatred about, about humanity that he would post about all the time. Yeah. And it's hard to really say with Brian, um, narcissism, psychopathy, um, he definitely has symptoms of what we call what's normally referred to as vulnerable narcissism and when the symptoms would be the need to control gabby to make sure she does not um ever you know find a man who might be better than him um he has that and that's part of vulnerable narcissism um 
but there is, you know, people, there's overlap. They call this, this three traits a dark triad, um, psychopathy, narcissism, and Machiavellianism. <laughs> but, um, very well done. And, um, but when you think about, there's a lot of overlaps and there's, you know, nobody's really was able to interview Brian and diagnose him in any way. Yeah. Um, there is, however, there is symptoms of psychopathy as well. The calmness that he has in the um, being pulled over, one of the symptoms of psychopathy that doesn't generally get seen with narcissism is that psychopathic people have very low affect. They don't show emotion very much one way or the other. Happy, sad, grouchy, glad. They're kind of like Bill Belichick. You know, it's like, um, you know, you just see them with no real signs that they have anything going on. Mm. Um, and that's that's more common with psychopathy to see somebody with very low affect. Um, but in my opinion, in this personal opinion, I have no uh, authority to diagnose anything, anyone. Um, Brian was narcissistic. Highly narcissistic to yeah, the point if, if where you, he was a personality disorder. If you watch the videos of them, um, like the the their their public video that they mm -hmm. posted, it's interesting because Gabby's like always looking at the camera. She's turning the camera toward her, and he's always kind of in the background. And it's it's an interesting dynamic, and you could see like the potential for someone like that, where where she's just this bright everybody's gravitated toward her and, and the lights on her and he's in the background and you can see like the potential for this slow cooking building mm -hmm. resentment. And when you think about somebody with vulnerable narcissism, um, you know, there's a president that comes to mind. Um, can't think of Donald Trump's name right off the top of my <sighs> head, but somebody with vulnerable narcissism really has a problem with anybody being seen as better than them at anything. And it doesn't matter what it is. Um, so when you have, when you're a person like who has that and your girlfriend is very pretty, and she's very socially outgoing, and you don't have good social skills. Um, and this is one of the things where I'd say Brian may not have necessarily narcissism, um, because narcissists, interestingly, often do have a lot of friends. Um, it's interesting that they find people who are very submissive personalities to be their friends, but they, they need such constant praise that they have to have people around them. It's kind of like why Hitler had such a circle that he had to have around him is because he needed them to sit there and praise him all the time. That's part of vulnerable narcissism. Mm. And it's also possible to have both vulnerable narcissism and psychopathy. Um, Ted Bundy had both. Um, so, you know, but he definitely, there's, there was something seriously wrong with Brian. And there were signs of it that his parents, either they weren't living together and his parents never really saw it, or they simply ignored. Could so, you be, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, Steve. Uh, I was just going to say, could you be a narcissist if you're a woman? Yeah, of course. Yeah, males and females can be narcissists. I'm trying to think of some, it's hard. Some female narcissists? Yeah. Madonna. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, she's narcissistic. Um, uh, trying to think of some other females that are clearly narcissistic. Um, Melania is probably narcissistic, but it's hard to say because she doesn't show herself in the public very often. But whenever she has been criticized, she's really tried to deflect or act um, in, in provocative ways, like wearing that, like I care um, coat. Uh, or ask me if I care uh, or whatever it was. The trip uh, to visit the yeah. border uh, <clears throat> so, encampments. And, so. uh, yeah, that was that was uh, an interesting choice. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's, like... Uh, oh, you don't have to go. Yeah. So, that's, so, anyway, though, I'm curious. How many dead bodies turned up in the wake of their trip? You mentioned Well, one, were... one of them was a hiker that shot himself. So I yeah, think that was... That. I mean, there's up to six that I know of, but I'm... I'm not, you know, you have to, well, first and foremost, not a single one has been um, linked to Brian Landry. Um, but of the other ones, eh, I've looked at them and I don't find them that convincing. But it's kind of like saying, well, just because something's not convincing doesn't mean it's impossible. So I think the one of the weird things about this, one of the weird things about this case was that his trip home to Florida, in the middle of their trip, he goes back to Florida from Salt Lake and leaves her at a hotel at the airport. Now, we don't know if he took the keys with him so she couldn't take the van, but I do know that her dad sent her food through some, you know, like an app, like a delivery app or whatever. So why did she need her dad to buy her food while she's at the hotel? That was a really odd little nugget, you know, but it's just, it's very odd. Like Dave said, he, the story is that we've all been told is that he went home to help clean out a storage locker because, you know, normally it takes you a week to do that. I, there's something about that piece that's odd. And the reason for that is that his sister was badgered enough where she came out and talked to some random person and the person got a video interview of the sister outside of her home and she started to say something like, uh, in terms of his reason for going home like that, she started to say something like, well, he does that when, and then she caught herself and didn't finish the sentence. So it's like, what does that mean? Does he, he takes off and comes back home when he's freaking out or whatever it is? You know, I, it, there just doesn't seem to be a match between taking a week in the middle of your idyllic trip and leaving your girlfriend back in Salt Lake and then needing a week to clean out a locker. No, it's kind of a ludicrous excuse to begin with. Like, yeah. It probably wasn't that crucial a thing to do. He probably went back for whatever reason while he was back. He cleaned something out and said, well, that's why I came back here. But uh, that's not a reason you break off a trip. And yeah. it doesn't take a week. So, And, and also, like, okay, you've got, you've got conflicting financial information, right? Like you've got uh, him supposedly offering a couple hundred bucks for a ride near jack you know near where the the murder uh, was and then you've got him flying home kind of last minute which i'm sure was a really expensive flight um but then on the other hand gabby's calling her dad to buy food and you know they also in the in the tex-mex place in jackson they you know there are a couple of conflicting reports uh there was a reporter from florida who went out 
after all this kind of happened and, and he was trying to <clears throat> figure get more information, the one of the managers of the restaurant really wouldn't go into too much detail. But she kind of downplayed everything and said, yeah, there was no big deal. And the, the main report Dave cited earlier in the, in the pod was coming from a woman and a, and a guy who sat near them at lunch. And it almost sounded like they either were trying to walk out on the bill or they were unhappy with the bill being too expensive or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, I've heard a couple different. It sounded like it was something on the bill. Like, and I've heard everything from Brian thought it was too high to they thought they got billed for something that they didn't actually get provided. And it didn't ma- so, even even if that happened, his reaction it, his reaction was is out of control, completely though. off That's the rails. Really, yeah. what the important thing is is that you know we've all had like questioned a waiter over our bill before. Everybody has, but we don't you know throw a complete tantrum inside of a restaurant either. So. Right. Right. How big how big were they on YouTube? Um, you know, again, they just had the one video. I think this was the beginning of her. Oh. I think I think this was all her plan. I think this whole trip. Oh, I thought they had an audience. I was following. No, no. Her. I think oh. this was their. They were trying to build, build something. something, and I think yeah. it was mainly her because remember in the in the in the pullover in Moab, she told the police that he was giving her a hard time that he didn't think she could do her website and do the social media thing. So he was really going after her um, and kind of downplaying her ability or, or you know, kind of saying, you, you're not going to be able to do this and build this whole thing. Now, in hindsight, sadly, you can see that she could have been a pretty good YouTube star um, just given the response people gave to her story, you know. Um, she had that kind of aura, and she had that that chemistry that that he definitely didn't had have, and he. Uh, it's very likely he really resented that. So, um, uh, one thing: uh, thrivetalk.com forward slash famous narcissist has a list of famous people that you would know that have narcissism. Um, that includes some males and females, Madonna, Kanye West, um, various other people. Uh, explains what it is. It's, you know, it's manipulative behavior. Mm. It's, um, it's a sense of self-importance and grandiosity that is just out of control. Um, but it's also, when you think about vulnerable narcissism, is it's really a mask of insecu- of high insecurity. That's what, oh, and there's something called overt narcissism, which is the exact opposite. People really do think they're some sort of, mm. you know, invincible, but any, at any rate. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've met a vulnerable narcissist who's a woman, but not really sure. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, it, we're not, yeah, I can't certainly diagnose anybody. I don't have any background in that. And and people who do have a background in that would never diagnose somebody without actually um, having them as a patient or a client mm-hmm. in a session. Um, that's why if you watch like Dr. Grande, he always starts it off by saying, I'm not diagnosing anybody in this video. I'm only speculating as to what might be going on in this set of circumstances but much like you know 
I, I'm not a medical doctor, but I can tell you if, you know, your hand's cut off, you know, your what? if your hand was cut oh. off, um, you know, I, and the same thing with levels of narcissism. Some are so apparent that you can even a non-psychiatrist can say, well, there's high narcissism here. Um, it's important to understand that it's behavior over a period of time, too. It's not just like, you know, because we all have to some degree narcissism. And we can all be narciss have narcissistic behavior. We all have our moments, as they say. Um, but it's when you get into this is really a person's actual personality mm -hmm. is highly narcissistic. Um, and that's when you have problems with people like, you know, and it can be anything from, you know, minor problems in life that some people will get because they're narcissists to being full-blown murderers like Brian Landry or, you know, even mass murderers like Ted Bundy or, you know, Adolf Hitler had narcissism, psychopathy. Um, but, you know, I mean, you know, I think with Landry there was probably more of a total behavior. This was ingrained as part of his personality. He was narcissistic. So it isn't just a random behavior. So um, sad thing is he's likely dead. Mm -hmm. And so likely perfect. or possible. Well, well, this still seems awfully fishy that his parents just decide to lead everybody to that well, spot. One of the, yeah, and one of the theories or, or thoughts about that is that they cut a deal with the, with the feds to basically go to the spot and find the body, basically. So they, because we don't know uh, if they were going to be charged with anything, um, they still might face civil action at some point, I would imagine. They could potentially face criminal charges if Brian was out there and in communication with him for that long, because there was a warrant for him, not for murder, but for actually um, illegally using uh, Gabby Petito's bank account. He took $1,000 uh, out of it. Um, after we know she was deceased. Um, so that was actually what his warrant was over. Um, so you can get charged for helping somebody evade law enforcement if you know for a fact that there's a warrant on them, and they certainly did. There's nothing illegal um, for them to lawyer up the way they did, but if nope. they were preventing, if they were doing something to help him stay hidden... Stay hidden, yeah. yeah. After the point where once there was a warrant issued for Brian... If they were helping him evade law enforcement, they would be guilty of a crime. Now, until there is a warrant, you know, the day that Gabby was reported missing, in all technicality, it doesn't matter because there's no warrant out for Brian. Brian can go to Europe if he wants. That Which day, is partly why know? Northport PD was, so. their hands were a bit tied. They yeah. couldn't, you know, they couldn't arrest him because there's no, you know, there's no probable cause. And they couldn't know. tell him from his mom. So... <laughs> I just don't understand why, if your son has died out in the woods and you know where he is, that you're like waiting for a while and then just leading the authorities there. Like, it just seems more like there's got to be something we don't know. Yeah. Like, well, their behavior throughout this whole thing has been really odd. So, yeah. And it's possible that they're just really strange people that aren't playing with full Dax themselves. And that would explain why their son grew up to be a killer. Um, so what's the latest on this in terms of... Um, so they... the latest that we know is that they're still doing... Um, uh, an anthropologist will do an autopsy on Brian. Uh, I think the biggest tragedy here is that 
the Petito family is never gonna really know what right. happened with with her unless Brian told his parents what really happened. Um, I don't think he's they're ever gonna know. And even if he did tell his parents, I don't know that his parents are ever gonna share it. Mm-hmm. Um, if he told his lawyer, um, his lawyer really can't share it. Um, because attorney-client privilege extends beyond the death of a client um, unless it was ever subpoenaed, um, but they would have to have a valid reason. It's not just like you need to tell her so she has closure, unfortunately, even though that could kind of, should kind of be the case. But, you know, because I really feel for the family, they don't know what happened. That's know? partly why they're hoping that yeah they can get uh, a notebook from his belongings mm-hmm. that they found that's salvageable yeah in hopes that there's some written confession or something yeah, like so nothing went on with what was in the backpack and around they haven't released it to the public and you know my guess is eventually because all these cases will be closed and they know who the killer was um they know brian killed gabby i don't so, so if they like let's say it's true they figured out he did it mm-hmm. now he's dead they can't continue to see if um, the parents were involved at all. They can Well, you can see if the, pa- the the parents weren't involved in the murder. I mean, the murder took place thousands. No, I'm of talking miles. about um, if they were involved in. So once there was a warrant issued for Brian, if they were helping him evade law enforcement, right. that would be a crime. So he, if they just close the case as is, then that probably means that they realize the family has nothing to do with it. Um, either that or they feel like there's not a strong enough. Because, I mean, you have a circumstantial case against the parents, but it's still circumstances. And it's not, you know, it, it, like I said earlier, I think if when we know when Brian died, that will have a big impact. Because if he died right away, um, he died right after he went out to that reserve. Um, then the parents saying that we had no communication was obviously true. Um, but if he didn't die right away, you know, and especially if he died right around the time where they start changing their tune and they want to help find Brian, because at first they don't, mm-hmm. um, then you might have a much stronger circumstantial case. It's still circumstantial. There's no real smoking gun um, unless there was a disposable phone or something in the backpack. Then you'd have a smoking gun. Um, but you might still get a conviction. So we, if they realize or they figured out that Brian killed her and they close the case, can they close it with saying that she was murdered by him? Or no. It, yeah. No. Um, and in fact... Um, if you've ever followed the Hernandez situation, mm-hmm. um, Hernandez filed an appeal on the death of Odenoid. Right. And Is Aaron Hernandez the yeah, football player? Yeah. And um, so one of the things that happened when he got in trouble with the Odin Lloyd and all that is part of his contract clause included a basically you can't enter into this contract having known that you cannot fulfill it. Um, And he, there was a, you know, basically the image of the team aspect of the contract, well, he had already committed a murder. Um, But because 
that case got appealed. So mm-hmm. Aaron Hernandez is no longer, by law, right. guilty. Right. Um, the Patriots are probably going to have to give his fiance Shanke, I can't think of her name, um, Which Jenkins. is probably why he ended up offing himself. You know? It's possible. I mean, there's definitely a lot of theories on that. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, the only, the only thing, uh, one of the key things that we positivity... Um, you know, is is that the Petito and the Schmidt family created a foundation, the Gabby Petito Foundation, and hopefully that'll be used to help find other missing people. Um, because one of the things that came out of this story was, you know, the concept of well, we're, the media is giving so much attention to her because she's white and blonde and pretty, and meanwhile there are millions of other missing, you know. Non-white we'll see. girls. And the and the problem isn't that they're giving too um, attention to Gabby. The problem is they're not giving attention to right. other people. Well, that's um, that. That's basically and, what people are saying. Yeah. yeah. And, and so and the, I think hopefully the foundation in her yeah. name. I think it's GabbyPetitoFoundation.org. Mm-hmm. But hopefully that'll increase awareness and yeah. help find other people better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So I think we should wrap this up. Um, what are we doing next week? Because Steve's next week. Top yeah. 10, huh? Yeah. Steve's top 10. That's all there is. Yeah. The top, top 10. 10. Your top 10. killers of all time. <laughs> is that what it is? No, it's supposed to be just um, like top funniest criminals or something like that. Oh, but, awesome. That would be funny. Yeah. Cool. So, so we'll something forward like. to that. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that's cool. it. Peace Thanks. out, y'all. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to us on this episode of Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite app so you don't miss an episode. You can also send us an email to cocktailsmocktailsandcrime at gmail.com. Or follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Or Twitter at CMCrime1. See you all next week.